0: Podcast is part of the sports social podcast Network.
1: The two-footed podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the day, or ITV Hub, or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block, allows you to watch whatever you want on those services, while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that. To the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package which is instantly downloadable to your device and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a Tad Predictable, hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable, hosted by Kevin DeVries, on its own EPL Roundtable feed, So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. What's good, boys and girls, two for the podcast. Today is Friday, the 20th of October. So we're gonna start in Germany today, where Bayern Munich have said that Nazar Mizrawi never meant to cause any irritation by sharing a video in support of Palestine. Bayern say they condemn Hamas attacks on Israel. I think everybody condemns Hamas attacks on Israel. I note though they do not condemn the mass slaughter of Palestinians by Israel. So there's that. Uh, it's it, it really does concern me the way these clubs and these countries, Germany, France, England, are attempting to silence all support of the Palestinians. Uh, that, to me, is a very, very worrying thing. Not surprising that the U.S. do it. But the rest mean grow a pair. Grow a pair and call it out for what it is. Uh, Pep Guardiola says that Erling Haaland should win the Ballon d'Or. No, he shouldn't. He just shouldn't. Yeah, he scored a bunch of goals. He also played crap in a bunch of games. Lionel Messi should win the Ballon d'Or. I'm sorry, Lionel Messi should win the Ballon d'Or. and. Frankly, I don't even think it should be all that close. I genuinely don't think it should be all that close. Uh, Sevilla take on Real Madrid in La Liga this weekend. And Sergio Ramos continues to divide opinions, according to Andy West on the BBC. Um, he's the most overrated defender in the history of the game. Uh A great captain, a great leader, a great big game player. But as a defender, not so much. Very good fullback. Very, very good right back. As a centre-back, far too error prone. Far too prone to moments of stupidity and red cards and different things. Um, When we look at the La Liga table, I mean, Sevilla have not not impressed in La Liga over the last couple of seasons. Obviously, they did win the Europa League last season, um, though probably more through fluke than anything else. Got some favourable draws along the way. But right now, they sit 14th in La Liga. Um, It's not good. It's not good at all for a club that size, with the talent that they have and all things considered, I think everybody involved should be ashamed of themselves for what's gone on there the last couple of seasons. Um, Liverpool boss Jurgen Klopp has said that Andrew, Andy Robertson will have surgery on his shoulder injury and could be out for up to three months. That the three months part comes from the Athletic. But it's not good. It's not good for Liverpool. It is an opportunity for Costa Simic because it will provide opportunities for young players. So they do get some positives out of it, but it's not good for Robertson. However, it could be good if he can recharge and rest properly for the next couple of months, because he has declined significantly over the last 22 months or so. Uh, Sandro Tonali is available again to play for Newcastle, despite the ongoing investigation into him and his potential gambling by the Italian Football Federation. Uh, it is likely that he will face a ban. We'll see what that ban might be. Reports yesterday that Newcastle could loan uh, loan in Ruben Neves in January. That wouldn't be at all questionable, would it? That wouldn't be weird. Um, Karen Bardsley, BBC sports columnist and ex-England goalkeeper, has said that Robert Sanchez might turn out to be the smartest signing that Chelsea made. Um, no. Just no. He is not a particularly good goalkeeper. In in terms of what Chelsea require, no. Uh Juventus have offered their full support to Nicolo Fagioli after his seven-month ban. It's the right thing to do. I mean, he self-reported, and he was open and honest about the whole thing. He has a gambling addiction. He's seeking help for that gambling addiction. And I think everybody should support him at this time. Uh, Karu Matoma has signed a new contract at Brighton that ties him to the club until 2027. Now, we'll see if it actually ties him to the club long-term or if it's a McAllister, Caicedo type of situation. Uh, Either way, it's good for him. It's good for the club. He has been outstanding since joining. 13 goals and 12 assists so far in his 52 appearances. And remember, a lot of them weren't starts. He's one of the most enjoyable players in the league. And with three goals and three assists already this season, he started the season very, very well. Uh, From good news to bad news related to Brighton, former Brighton manager and former Manchester City manager, Brian Horton, has been diagnosed with prostate cancer. Uh, The 74-year-old managed Man City from nineteen ninety-three to nineteen ninety-five said he had a checkup in April and was diagnosed a month later. His he said a friend told him to get tested due to his age and he is now urging other men to get checked out. After giving details of other members of his family having cancer, the doctors told him to have a full body scan. They found I had it and it was very small. He told Johnny Cantor of BBC Radio Sussex. He captained Brighton in his his playing career during the 1970s and then was back there as manager in 1998. Also played for Port Vale, Luton and Hull. Managed Port Vale, Macclesfield, Oxford and Huddersfield. Brian Horton was a good manager uh, who was a little bit unfortunate with some of the situations he took over uh man city was not a good place when he was there um wasn't a good place before he took over he improved them he did make them better he implemented a pretty ruthless strategy towards trying to rebuild the club but um unfortunately didn't get the backing he needed at the time uh Tyler Adams is set to be out for up to four months after a second operation on his hamstring. Uh, And Donny Irola has said that the previous surgery was not successful, which is just, it's really, really tough. He got that operation in March. It's now looking like February before he's back. That's nearly a year with a hamstring issue. He's played once in that time. Came on as a 78-minute sub against Stoke in September. Straight back out. Very, very tough. Very, very tough. Very good player. Was so important. Was going to be so important for them. Was so important to their plans. So it's a big, big blow. I look forward to seeing him back, though, because I've always liked Tyler Adams. Uh, Wayne Rooney has said that the rumours about the salary he is allegedly on are a load of rubbish, which is interesting. Um, it's been reported that Rooney is earning 1.5 million a year, which is three times as much as John Eustace. And Rooney has said that it is a load of rubbish. I don't know who to believe, to be honest. As I said last week, I came here because I really liked the project. I've turned down jobs that would have paid a lot more, but I've come here because I want to be successful and I want to get this club back to the Premier League. Interesting. His first game will be against Middlesbrough at the weekend. Middlesbrough obviously managed by Michael Carrick. Uh, Carrick was outstanding last season once he took over. This season it's been a little bit tougher. Borough had a pretty poor start to the campaign, but They have bounced back. They've won four in a row, having not won any of their first seven. They're up into 16th. And given the nature of the championship, they're actually only four points off the playoffs as things stand with 35 games to go. Um, It's really interesting to me that Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer was at Manchester United with Kieran McKenna and Michael Carrick in his coaching staff and played such abysmal football and did such an abysmal job when both of them since leaving and going out on their own have done very, very well. Carrick at Borough and obviously McKenna at Ipswich. One promotion with them last season and now has them sitting second in the championship, eight points ahead of third place Preston. Now again, It's 11 games in, there's 35 games to go. It's very, very early. But it's a tremendous start to the season by Ipswich. Because for me, if you get promoted to any division, the first order of business is just survive. Just stay up and you've done your job. It's not like Ipswich have gone out and spent huge, huge um, amounts of money. Last season, it took... 45 points to keep you up. Reading and Blackpool both went down with 44. So 45 points was the magic number to stay up. The season before, it was only 38 points. The season before that, it was 44. And before that, it was actually 49, which is very high. And to give it a five-year run then... 41. So let's just say it's going to take 43 points to keep you in the division. Well, Ipswich already have 28. So job one, staying in the division, they're two thirds of the way towards securing that, which is very, very good. Considering Sheffield Wednesday, who came up with them last year, And were really impressive last season. They came up through the playoffs, obviously, but they were very, very impressive and only finished two points off Ipswich. Sheffield Wednesday have three points so far. They haven't won. They're the only team without a win. Now, a lot of upheaval there with the manager leaving, but that was their own fault. Uh, Plymouth, who won league one last year, they've got eight. They're in 18th with 11 points. So a a decent start, more the type of start you would expect from a newly promoted team. So Ipswich are massively outperforming expectations. Massively so. Leeds have found form and sorted themselves out. They're up to fifth. Leicester obviously topped the league. Leicester have made a great start to the season. Southampton are the most disappointing of the relegated teams. They are 10th. Now, they're only two points behind Leeds. But they look a little bit shaky. I'm not sold on Russell Martin as a manager. I'm really not. But Ipswich, for me, that they're the story of the championship so far. I just think to come up and play play the style of football they're playing is so impressive. And then to be getting the results as well. And Carrick has Burra playing great football, I should should mention. So that's why I say when Ollie had both of them and was playing that turgid football, it doesn't really make sense to me. Um, moving on, we will do the gossip and then we'll go to break. Uh Roma boss Jose Mourinho is set for a shock return to Real Madrid this summer replacing Carlo Ancelotti, who will take over as Brazil head coach. I don't believe he will. I don't believe Mourinho will go back to Real Madrid. Mm-hmm. Mourinho's not Real Madrid calibre anymore. Roma was is about the right level for Jose. You know, a, a, a big club, but not necessarily a club with ambition of winning league titles or European Cups. If you want to win domestic cups and those secondary European competitions, the Europa League and the Europa Conference League, that for me is where Jose is at his very, very best. Um, like, you know, he won the, won the conference league in his first season with Roma. Last season, obviously they, got to the final of the Europa League and lost on penalties. And obviously there was some very contentious officiating in that game. In fact, I would say it was flat out appalling officiating from Anthony Taylor in that game. Um, But that's his level. That's where he belongs now. Manchester United winger Jadon Sancho will be transfer listed unless he apologises to manager Eric Ten Hag. He has been left out of the United squad since the loss to Arsenal for not meeting training standards. That's not why he's been left out of the squad. That's a lie. He's been left out of the squad because after that Arsenal game, the manager threw him under the bus and Sancho wasn't having it. And he spoke out. And he gave his side of things. He's been left out of the squad because Eric Ten Hag's feelings are hurt. That's why he's been left out of the squad. Sancho's former club, Russia Dortmund and Italian side Juventus have contacted the players' reps about a potential transfer. Dortmund makes a lot of sense for him. But he would be great in Syria. I think he would be great in Syria. Uh, Liverpool are making moves for highly rated midfielder Jamal Jamal Musiala with the 20-year-old unhappy that he is not a guaranteed starter at Bayern Munich. I I would genuinely love to see it happen, but I just don't think it will. Newcastle boss Eddie Howe does not want to be the next England manager despite the FA putting him on a short list of potential candidates to replace Gareth Southgate. It's Luke Edwards, so, I mean, that's come from Newcastle's owners uh, for for whom he is a shill. So Jim Ratcliffe's proposed deal to purchase 25% of Manchester United is unlikely to be completed in time for the opening of the January transfer window, stunting the side's ability to spend big. Uh, Because, you know, they haven't spent big thus far under Ten Hag. What a shame they can't just give him a ton more money. Uh, new, Chelsea are set to active, activate an option to extend Ian Matson's contract until summer 2025 as the Blues hope to dissuade him from joining Barcelona um, I'm not sure that's true now maybe it is but I have doubts, I certainly have doubts over the legitimacy of that journalist Uh, who's written that for the Evening Standard, only a sensational offer would convince Rangers to sell Jack Butland to Birmingham, with manager Wayne Rooney making the ex-England goalkeeper his top transfer target. So Jack Butland obviously was at Birmingham. That's where he made his name, came through their academy, had his loans at Cheltenham, and then, in a shock to everybody, ended up at Stoke rather than moving to one of the top clubs. Because at the time, at, at 20, Jack Butland was one of the two best young goalkeepers in the world, along with Marc-Andre Ter Stegen, or the two most highly sought-after young goalkeepers in the world. Obviously, his career hasn't panned out the way it was expected to, the way it was hoped it would. The ankle injury he suffered while at Stoke was catastrophic, and the first surgery didn't work. The second one was a far more brutal surgery and it limits the mobility in his ankle. But look, he's still gone on to have a, a pretty long career. I mean, he's he's still only thirty, but he hasn't played a lot of football in the last few years. It's a shame. It is a real shame. Nine caps for England, like he's at twenty, he looked like he was the next hundred cap England goalkeeper. He should right now be England's number one with, you know, 90 to 100 caps. Uh, Not Pickford, not, not Ramsdale. None of these should be in contention. That's how good Jack Butland was at that age. And, you know, Jordan Pickford must be a similar age. Jordan Pickford's 29, he's a year younger. You go back 10 years, there was no comparison between the two. Butland was the one. So it's a shame. Uh, Inter-Miami head coach Gerardo Martino has confirmed his side's interest in Luis Suarez and hopes to lure the 36-year-old currently playing for Gremio to the MLS in January. I would be delighted to see Luis Suarez at Inter-Miami. Brazil President John Laporta has ruled out signing Lionel Messi. I think Messi ruled that out. I don't think Laporta had any say in the matter. Saudi Arabian club Al Etifak are set to sign Jesse Lingard. Yeah, Gerard's trying to sign a load of crap English players to you know, so he has people to talk to, I suppose. Manchester United will offer one-year contract extensions to Aaron Wan-Bissaka and Victor Lindelof, as well as agreeing a new deal with Hannibal Mejbri. It's funny how United operate. They were very, very forceful in their attempts to sell Mejbri in the summer. Very forceful. Offered them to everybody. Couldn't find a buyer for the price they were looking, which is about 15 million. He has a couple of good performances. Now they're giving him a new contract. It's very Man United. Juventus are targeting a move for 19 year old Avalanta and Italy defender, Giorgio Scalvini, who had previously been looked at by Inter Milan and Man City. He is outstanding. A tremendous young defender. This is very interesting, and this could have an enormous impact on the future of the Premier League. Crystal Palace chairman Steve Parish has said the Premier League is discussing bringing in a cap on what clubs can spend on wages. Now, here's the thing. If you impose a salary cap, you have to impose a salary floor. The salary floor might make it very hard for certain smaller clubs, to operate. I'm thinking you're Burnleys of the world, you're Bournemouths. But a salary cap would be very interesting. However, however, how can we be certain that Manchester City and Newcastle, among others, won't find ways to circumvent a salary cap? Man City have been paying players under the table for years in the forms of bonuses, in the forms of payment from companies in Saudi Arabia for endorsements that don't really exist. How can we be certain that this practice will be curbed? We can't. So in the end, it might be just a fool's errand to bring that type of thing in. But it would certainly it would certainly aid competition. Uh, right. We will take a break then. And um, when we come back, we will bring in Guy Drinkle. Right, welcome back. So, <clears throat> on a Friday, we tend to be joined by Mr. Guy Drinkle when there's games to be played. And this weekend, there are games to be played. Now, Guy Drinkle, before you say anything else, can you please confirm to the listening audience what height you are? As yesterday, I picked you in goal for an Anfield Index EPL Index 11.
0: I am six foot two, Dave, and I do tend to play in goal when I the use the wall of the
1: ball. north. Yeah. This man is the wall of the north.
0: I am Simon Carson's soccer school goalkeeper of the day when I was in primary school. There we
1: go. There we go. We're credentials, Guy. Credentials. Most of the rest of us are spoofing. You're bringing a track record. That's what we like to hear. Right. We've got 43 games on Saturday, one game on Sunday, and one on Monday because reasons... And of course, because it's been an international break, there's an early kickoff on a Saturday. And of course, there's only one team that could be featured in that early kickoff, which was the case after the last international break and is the case after the next international break.
0: What's our first game? We have the Merseyside Derby Dave. Which is going to be one of the worst games of football anyone's ever seen in their life, because that's how it that how it is. Um, it is at Anfield, Dave. Um, at least the South American lads have come back a bit earlier for Liverpool. Say, hmm. I don't think Everton have South Americans anymore. Uh, I can't think of anyone. Just used to be Yerry Mina, and he was made of cardboard. So. They had
1: Yerry Mina, and they had. Richarlison, obviously, yes, Richarlison, Richarlison, Richarlison. left. Yerimina left. And now they have zero South Americans at the club.
0: They have. Mm. They can't have too many who go on international. T-
1: two African players, Decore and Idris Gay. They have four Portuguese players, a Belgian one from the Netherlands, one from Ukraine, and all the rest of the squad are British, with the only non-English British player being Nathan Patterson. That might be the most English squad in the league. That's something I'm going to look into for next week. Are Everton the most Brexity team? Mm -hmm. And I think they might be in the league. They've also got, obviously, uh, quite the Brexity manager. This game goes one of two ways. If Liverpool get their way, Liverpool batter them. If Everton get their way, this is maybe the ugliest game of the weekend. Um, Everton are missing Dele Alli, who wouldn't start. Gomes, who wouldn't start. Seamus Coleman, who under Dyche, probably would start. And Ashley Young would play left back. But other than that, they're at full strength. Based on, based on what they've had so far this season, they're at full strength. Liverpool have no Andy Robertson. He's out for three months. No Curtis Jones. He's suspended. No Thiago. He's injured again. Quevín uh, Callagher's back in training. Whether he's ready to play or not remains to be seen. Besetic should be back. You would hope, but I don't know if he. I don't even know if he was in training today. And then Diogo Jota and Cody Gakpo should be good to go. Jota after suspension. Gakpo after injury. So with a bit of luck, Liverpool are only really missing. Robertson and Jones, because you don't count on Thiago and Keller has the backup keeper.
0: Yeah, it does make it. It makes it interesting in that fact. I mean, Liverpool missing Robertson's obviously, a, well, it used to be a bigger miss, I'd probably say. But we have seen in the past Simicast once he gets a little run in the team, he does get up to Spain, he's very good. But that was two, three seasons ago now. Um, so that'll be interesting to see how quickly it takes him to get up to speed. Ah, Merseyside Derby. What's your take on this day? Because I saw it all over social media. Is the Merseyside Derby out with the ones that are very well defined? How would you rate that on the Derby scale? So I'd say the North London Derby is top, unless we're counting the old film, then I'd put that top probably. But where would you say the Merseyside Derby one is?
1: Right, so... The North London derby for me is is the, the kind of the glam, most glamorous one. Um, there's a bunch of other London derbies that are kind of irrelevant. The only other one that really stands out, we also have this weekend in Arsenal, Chelsea. Mm-hmm. Um, I would put it over the Merseyside derby. Are we, we're talking about quality of football and competitiveness of the fixture. Mm-hmm. Liverpool didn't lose a game to Everton for over a decade. This is not a competitive fixture and hasn't been a competitive fixture. Everton have one win over Liverpool since Roy Hodgson was Liverpool manager. And that came when Liverpool were garbage and had no centre-backs and there was no fans in the stands. And frankly, that season should just be stricken from the record books. Um, The Manchester derby is obviously a bigger deal than, than this as well.
0: To be fair, Man United have been supporting City for the last five years.
1: Yeah, basically. Basically. But at least at least the games still have some glamour to them. At least there's like this a decent football breaks out once in a while. With these, it's either a, a procession for Liverpool or a horrible, gnarly kick everybody up in the air type of game. I, 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 I'd have it fairly low. I would, I'd have it fairly low. Like It doesn't have the appeal. Like When I see the fixtures, the big rivalry game I look out for is United now. It's not Everton. Because Everton haven't been a real factor since Moyes left. And even when Moyes was there, it's not like they were a a great team. Everton haven't been a top, top team since the 80s. Um, But certainly, at least when Moyes was there, the rivalries felt more competitive because Liverpool weren't as good. Liverpool were fairly average as well. And when Liverpool were average and Everton were average, the games were competitive. Once Liverpool got good and Everton stayed average, the games were less competitive. And then as Liverpool got really good and Everton got really bad, the games either became a procession or, you know, a horrible, gnarly affair. So in recent years, I'd certainly put it well down the list of, of derbies in English football. Um, I'd have more interest in watching a, a good Midlands derby than watching this dreck most mm. of the time. With that being said, I think Liverpool will give Everton a bit of a spanking tomorrow. Because I think there's an anger within the Liverpool team over the fact that they're once again been forced into this kickoff. And I know, you know, it, you get these talking head imbeciles like Jim White and Simon Jordan, who speaks about being an expert in running a football club when he almost destroyed Crystal Palace, one of the great institutions of English football. And they say, well, what difference does it make? It's only two and a half hours. Well, it does make a difference because players have to eat before games. Oftentimes players will want to eat twice before games. So this means they have to have their first meal at about half seven rather than having it at nine o'clock. They have their second meal then at about 11, about half 10, maybe at the latest two hours before kickoff, rather than having it around noon, one o'clock. Mm. So it does make a big difference. It makes a big the
0: atmosphere difference. Is awful, of, as well, usually.
1: The atmosphere is always garbage, no matter who's playing. It doesn't matter if it's Liverpool or anybody else. The atmosphere for these games is garbage. And surely If you're the Premier League and you want to market this as the best league in the world, part of that is the atmosphere. Because when you're watching a game, whether you're at the game or you're watching on television, the atmosphere plays a huge role in your experience in watching that game. And when the atmosphere is as bad as it it tends to be in an early kickoff, that translates across and it it affects the mood of everybody, including the players. I'm going to say Liverpool to win 4-1. I think they'll get an early goal and Everton will then have to try and play football. They'll have to try and attack. They'll have to try and... Unless Everton has just decided, look, we're probably going to lose. Let's try and lose by no more than two goals. I think Liverpool can open them up and and have some real joy. So I'm going to go 4-1 to Liverpool. I'd take that. (laughs) What did you (laughs) and Carol go? Did you and Carol do predictions on... Scouted this week. We did. I think we both went for a win. I think
0: I went two one because I thought it'd be a horrendous game. But that was mm. before I knew the South American lads were back sooner than expected. Yeah. So we kind of went into it thinking it'd be like a four four two of Jota Salah, whatever the hell in midfield. Before we knew Alexis, and that would probably be okay. To be good go. to play. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah I, I think.
1: Thing. I think. Look, I'm fairly confident of the win. I'm fairly confident of the win. So fingers crossed, it'll start the weekend off nicely. And it takes all the pressure off then because you can sit and watch the rivals play and not feel like, oh shit, they've won and we've lost. You know, if once you have that win, it's kind of like all the, all the stress is gone and you can just enjoy the games.
0: And TNT, thanks for putting UFC on at the same time as Chelsea, Arsenal as well. That's great of you as well. Mm. Um, anyway, moving on to the three o'clock kickoffs. The um, why-did-you-sack-Gary-O'Neill, question-mark, pending game, (laughs) Bournemouth against Wolves, Dave. Um, We've kind of supported Iriola every Friday we've done these, but that Everton game was bad, was very bad. Mm. And this is the game where it's going to spark a lot of media questions about Bournemouth and why they sacked Gary-O'Neill. Whether that was the right decision or not, he's obviously had a better start at Wolves than Ariolas had at um, at Bournemouth. So, yeah. if he doesn't win this game, that's going to massively intensify.
1: It is. It is for sure. Like it, it. It's only been eight games, but it's still eight games. You know, we've seen managers sacked quicker. Um, Bournemouth were so so poor against Everton. It, it beggared belief. Like. They've lost three in a row. They lost to Brighton away. No no shame in that. Brighton are really good. They lost at home to Arsenal. The scoreline flattered Arsenal. Like, it wasn't a 4-0 type of game. But there's no shame in losing at home to Arsenal. But to get beaten in this manner, if they just lost 1-0 or 2-1 and it had been a fairly tight game, you'd say, okay, fair enough, whatever. But this was... This was really, really poor. They, they shot themselves in the foot. The Garner goal comes from a Zerbani mistake. Mm-hmm. The Harrison goal is a, is a bit of a worldly, in truth. But they were just never at the races at all. And it was no surprise when, when Everton got the, the third. Um, but, I mean, you, know, you look at who they've lost to this season. Liverpool, Tottenham, Brighton... And Arsenal, they're all good teams. Like, they're all going to finish in the top seven in the league this season. They drew with Chelsea. They drew with West Ham. They're going to finish top half. West Ham could, could finish top seven. You never know. They've started well. And they drew with Brentford, who are very, very good. And they drew at Brentford. So that was a good result. So, like, they've had a really tough start. The first game they played this season that you would have looked at and thought, Bournemouth might actually be, if not favourites, it might be a 50-50 game here. Was that Everton game? And they got spanked. They need to bounce back this weekend. Now Wolves have no Lamina, he's suspended. No Semedo, he's also suspended. By the way, five yellow cards in the first eight games. You should be ashamed of yourself. Uh, but Bellegarde is back. Hugo Bueno is a doubt with a hamstring injury. Bournemouth have no Tyler Adams. He's going to be out for a few months. Ryan Fredericks is out. Marcondes is out. Alex Scott is almost back, but not quite back. Lloyd Kelly is back, though. And Philip Billings should be fine. Like you said, Gary O'Neill's made a, a pretty good start with Wolves. The results don't actually reflect how well Wolves have played because they've lost to both Manchester United and Liverpool, having played outstanding football in both games. They did beat Man City, obviously. They got a good draw last time out at home to Villa, despite playing some fairly turgid football in that one at times. Things didn't click for them in that one, uh, the way they have in other games. But I, I'm gonna back Bournemouth for the win just because they're at home. I'm gonna back Bournemouth for the win because Wolves haven't been great away from home. Like a, a draw with Luton. Now, admittedly, they had ten men for what fifty odd minutes, so that that was pretty good. Mm-hmm. But still, it's Luton. Uh, you know, it's going to be disappointing. Um, they lost to Crystal Palace. It was three two. Palace were the better team. Palace. Probably should have beaten them more convincingly. Um, they lost to United, although they did play well. They did beat Everett. but I'm going to go for the Bournemouth win. I think it'll be close. I'll go two one to Bournemouth, and maybe it's more in hope than anything else. I want Iraola to do well, and this is his opportunity here. He
0: needs he to
1: gets, stop messing about with his midfield. To be honest, he does. He needs to, but he need, the problem is he, he they were banking so much on Adams. I, I, that
0: is true, but I think he just instead of playing like Ryan Christie and billing as a 10 and whoever, just go Lewis Cook and Rothwell.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Just try and be a bit more solid. Yeah. That's that's the thing. I mean, billing for the size of him is he's a bit soft. Mm. And Ryan Christie can't tackle to save his life. So having both of them in the midfield is making you weaker. I think you're right. I think Lewis Cook and Joe Rothwell – to sit in there and just provide a, a little bit of toughness in that midfield. Both are good in the ball, but both can protect the defence. Then I think once you're doing that, you can free up Max Aaron's and Milos Kerkos to get forward, which is what you want to do. I think if you have that block of four, you can defend and let those fullbacks get forward. You'll still have a, a solid base to play from. The other thing they need to do is they need to figure out what the best centre back partnership? is. It's Zarbani plus one. But is it Sinisi or is it Lloyd Kelly? It's definitely not Chris Metham. It's one of those two. It's been Sinisi more so this season because Kelly's been injured. But I feel like Kelly's recovery pace might be a better blend with Zarbani. So I think. And if the defence is that
0: big an issue, maybe put Kelly left back. I know Kirk has been really good, but. Or go to a
1: back three. I mean, go to a back three, play Sinisi in the middle, which is where he's happiest Kelly on the left, Sabani on the right because Aaron's and Kirkes are both natural wingbacks, they're much more attack minded than defensive, they were both wingers as young as as teenagers so you could do that and then you could play with Cook and Rothwell in front, so then you'd have a bank of five to defend with and five to attack with so you've launched the wing-backs forward as wingers, and then you can play Solanke with, let's say, Sinistera and Oatara either side of him,
0: because yeah. they'll
1: be your goal threat, and he can kind of do his link-up play. You could have Hammond Traore then as an option off the bench. I mean, if you're playing a back three, you could play Hammond Traore in a double pivot midfield with license to get forward, because Lewis Cook or Joe Rothwell can just sit in and you can defend with four and attack with six. I think it might be worth is while having a look at these type of things. Um, they've also got David Brooks as an option in the front three as well. Like, there's a lot of talent here. And when when Alex Scott is back, I think it'll be a huge help because he will be an upgrade in midfield. But the the loss of Adams is big for them. I, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go two one. I'm gonna go two one to Bournemouth, and I'm gonna keep my fingers crossed that they can get this mess that they've not it's not a mess yet they're like they're only one point from safety as things stand but you're eight games in you haven't won yet you've got to sort that out you've got to start winning some games you've you've got this one and you've got Burnley next win both of those and then a lot of the pressure goes away and a lot of the narrative shifts and people stop talking about it so much because like you said the big thing you said it right at the start the big thing here isn't so much that Bournemouth haven't won a game yet. It isn't so much that the second from bottom, it isn't really anything to do with Irreola. It's why do they sack Gary O'Neill? He kept them up. Why did they sack him? If they can win a couple of games, people will stop talking about that. And they'll actually focus on what Bournemouth they're actually doing and some of the football that they're playing, which despite the results, some of the football they've played has been, has been quite good.
0: Yep. Absolutely, I've surprised. I've watched a surprising amount of Bournemouth and I'd agree with her. Um, let's move on because we spent too much on that on that game. We, this one might be a quick one: uh, Brentford against Burnley, Dave. Um, now you mentioned in, in that fixture that Brentford have been good. They're on a bit of a bad streak at the moment. No, no,
1: I, I said they they are but, good. I didn't say they've been good. They're, yes. they're a good team. They're playing badly <laughs> yeah. at the moment. Their injury. Uh, Situation at the moment is is fairly horrendous. Mm-hmm. Rico Henry done for the season. Ivan Tony suspended till January. Kevin Shadé injured till January uh, after surgery. De Silva is about a month away. Baptiste is a couple of weeks away. Damsgaard, they're hopeful he'll be back soon, but they don't know. He had a minor operation a couple of months uh, a month ago, so he'll be out for a little while. Aaron Hickey's suspended. Another one with five yellow cards already this season. Ben Mee is a a significant doubt. Lewis Potter is a doubt. Mark Flecken should be okay. He was ill for the last game. He should be back. And Ethan Pinnock has an ongoing Achilles issue that he's trying to manage. But you have to be really careful with that because it won't take much for that to pop. And that might be the end of his career. Considering his age and size and... The fact that he's not the most mobile to begin with, that could be catastrophic for him. It would certainly be a year out, and then you know, how, how is he? What's he going to come back like? Um, so they're they're in a tough place at the moment. But Burnley, they've got some some problems as well. Buyer is out. Goodmanson's a doubt. Benson's a doubt. Redmond's a doubt. Uh, and Keel should be back. Ekdal is out, and Obafemi's out. So, you know, they're kind of bare bones at the moment as well. Um this game is at Brentford. Brentford's home home form is normally pretty decent, but it hasn't been great this year. They've only won one game this season, which is really disappointing. And they started they looked good to start the season. Mm. They drew with Spurs, they hammered Fulham, they drew with Palace. Then they drew with Bournemouth coming from behind, and it was like, okay, well, you know, they'll be a little bit disappointed to draw at home with, with Bournemouth, but yeah, you know, they've come back and showed a bit of fight. And then, like, lose to Newcastle, get beaten at home by Everton's a disastrous result. The draw away to ten man Forest, that game was nil nil. When the man was sent off, they scored immediately. Uh, Brentford scored immediately after that. The defeat to United was was a really tough one because. That game was over. They had that one, 1 0, 93rd minute. Just clear your lines. And they gift United an equaliser and then they gift them a winner. That's two clubs that have done that this season at Old Trafford them and Forest. Um, I'm going to go for the Brentford win. Burnley still seemed to be finding. Their identity and trying to figure out what they are as a team. They got walloped by Chelsea last time out. I don't like what's going on at centre back. I don't think he's figured out what his best partnership is. They're a little bit lightweight in midfield for my liking, and I Do you don't think they know... made
0: too many changes coming up. Like, um... yeah,
1: think, yeah who was like it? Is Forrest, it Villa or Forest?
0: Ha- yeah. that's the one. Yeah,
1: it, it it kind of feels like that. Now, I think it couldn't, It can work its way out the same way that uh, it worked for Villa. But if you look at it, they brought in Dara O'Shea, Figueroa, Bayer, who was there last year, they just made that permanent. Mm-hmm. Obafemi was in on loan, they made that permanent. Amdouni, Trafford, Redmond, uh, Kolioshu, Sander Berg, Wilson Odebert, Hans Delacroix, Aaron Ramsey, Han uh, Han Noah Masango. They signed an awful lot of players. That doesn't include the players they brought in on loan, Jakob Brun Larsen and Mike Tresser. Like they signed a lot of wingers. One, two, three, four, five, five wingers in the summer. That's that's too many wingers to sign in one window. Just is. And Amdoni, they paid a lot of money for him. He's very young. He's new 22. He wasn't proven outside of Switzerland. And, you know, he had a really good year last year on loan at Basel. But he still only scored 12 goals in the Swiss League in 32 games. He was brilliant in Europe for Basel. But you'd still be a little bit concerned that Who's getting the goals for them? Like, can you rely on Lyle Foster Mm. to get you the goals? I I like Lyle Foster. I think he's a good player, but he's never scored more than eight goals in any season in his career. And that was in the Belgian League. I I just don't know where the goals are going to come from. There's players with the potential to score a bunch of goals. I should say... On top of all those wingers they signed, they already had Manuel uh, Benson and Anna Saruri at the club. So they're loaded with wingers. And I I genuinely don't think company knows what his best front three is yet. They've still got Jay Rodriguez knocking around. I'm not sure he knows what his best midfield is yet. He hasn't found the balance there. I think he's fairly settled on a full-back rotation where Conor Roberts and Vitinho kind of rotate it right back and Charlie Taylor is the, when fit, nailed on left-back. But he doesn't seem to have figured out centre-back yet at all. And again, it's a young group. I mean, you look at that group of centre-backs. Uh, Delquat is 24. Alda Keel is 21. Ekdal is 24. Egan Riley is 20. Byers, 23. Dara O'Shea is the most experienced of them. He's only 24. Like, I, I I'm... I'm struggling to see where the leadership is. Now, if you play Taylor and Roberts, at least they're late twenties, I think, I think one, I think Taylor might be 30, but you've got no leadership in the middle. You've also got no established partnership in the middle and you've got a new goalkeeper who again is very, very young. He's 21 years of age. So where's your experienced goalkeeper? You know, if you've got young centre backs, you're going to want an experienced goalkeeper. I really like a lot of the business that they did. I think they signed a lot of good players. I think they're missing... Because Sander Burge's best role is box-to-box, and Aaron Ramsey's best role is box-to-box. What they those two need is someone who can really hold that midfield together. And they've been using Josh Cullen there. Brownhill has played there. They've got Jack Cork. None of them are quite physical enough for what you'd really want in that role, especially with those young centre-backs. So teams are able to flood through them quite easily, and it's it's a tough job. Like It is a tough job for company. He he is in the... How long has he been there? 15 months or so? 16 months? Yeah. He's completely revolutionised Burnley from what they were under Dyche to what they are now. But I think, having done it last season... He thought he could immediately take a big jump rather than just the next step. And I think they've tried to run before they're able to walk and that puts them in, a, in an awkward position. I still think they'll stay up. I think there will be three teams worse than them. I think they're the best of the promoted teams. I think they'll be one of the pre-established Premiership teams, that'll Premier League teams, that'll drop. I think it, I think it could be Everton but it could be somebody else. It could be Bournemouth. Um, I think they'll stay up, but I think it's going to be tough. And I think it's going to be a ropey path from now till January. If I'm them in January, the first thing I'm doing is scouring around and seeing who loan me an experienced centre-back. And can I find a ball winner to sit in that midfield? I know he's young as well, but for leadership purposes, I don't know why they didn't bring Taylor Howard Bellis back. He was brilliant for them last season, genuinely brilliant for them in their promotion charge. Mm. I would have made him a priority signing in the summer.
0: Considering the bid thirty odd mil for Matson as well.
1: That's the thing. Like, and and where was he and Matson going to play for them? My guess is he was going to play on the wing, another winger. Like, make it make sense. Why do you need all these wingers? you can only play two of them you can only bring on maybe two more why do you have eight wingers it doesn't make sense um i'm going to go for the brentford win in this one i think it'll be a a tight game but i like brentford's pace against that burnley defence which is unsure of itself i'll go 2-0
0: yeah, probably won't be the prettiest game, but the next one might be. Um, and that is Man City against Brighton, not on TV for some reason. Um, basically, Rodri's back, Dave, but what, what do you think Brighton can do to counteract that? Because he just seems to be so key to everything.
1: He is the most important player at Manchester City by a considerable distance. Which is genuine? Generally, the case when you have a world class holding midfielder, they're generally the most important player in your team, and you notice a massive drop off. Even if the backup is a good holding midfielder, Rodri is incredible, and City lost all three games that he, that he was suspended for. Uh, so the only injury they have now is KDB, and he's obviously he's obviously super important and he's an incredible player, but having Rodri back is massive for them. And they get a Brighton team who've got some injury issues. So, and CISO, we don't know when he's due back. Estupinen, and he's out for a little, little while, another a couple of weeks. Lamptey's a major doubt. Uh, Milner might be back. He can't start. You cannot start James Milner in this game. Milner against Doku, Dave? Imagine imagine if that happens james Milner will probably have to retire after the game uh igor has a knock but should be okay jakob motor is still out six months after he was due back from a torn acl he's he's still out which tells me i think he's had another serious injury um and matoma was had a virus but he should be okay and I think he's key to this. I think they need him to have a big game. If it's him and Solly March as the left side, I think that's promising for Brighton. But I mean, first, like this game should be on TV. How how is this not on television? How is this not on television? And the drek we're going to be presented at eight o'clock is. um, I think this will be a fun game. Both sides want to play attractive football. Both sides can score goals. Brighton are flawed defensively. City aren't perfect defensively, but they get away with it a lot of the time because they have so much of the ball. Brighton are the type of team that can have a go at City, and City are not the type of team that will expose Brighton's weaknesses all that much. Although I say that, and then I think of who they have up front, if City want to just be a bit more direct to Haaland, and he's due a goal as well, I'll say 3-1 to City. I do think it's going to be a game that people should watch. I think it's going to be really good.
0: To be fair, if a Carlin's due about five goals on his, on his uh, previous record. Uh, but we'll move on to Newcastle Palace, Dave. Uh, from the little bits I've seen in terms of previews and stuff, this just seems to be a lot of injuries in this game. So might be a bit of a weird couple lineups here. And obviously Newcastle have Champions League to contend with as well.
1: Yeah, Newcastle uh, have to kind of start ma- managing their squad because of the Champions League. They've got no Harvey Barnes, no Joe Willock. Unlikely to have Sven Botman. Uh, no, uh, no Lewis Miley. Isaac is a doubt, but Gordon is back. Jolington should be okay as well, so they should be fine. Um, Palace have a lot of issues. So no Ferguson obviously no Eze Michael Elise is very very close to being back but this weekend probably comes too soon Schlup is a doubt Lerma is a doubt Ahamada is a doubt Franke again almost back but whether they'll whether they'll use him I I have major doubts uh Joel Ward is a doubt Dakure is a doubt Riederfelt is a doubt, yeah. and Dean Henderson is out. So, by my count, if De Kure misses out, Ahamada misses out, Schlupp misses out, and Jefferson Lerman misses out, other than Will Hughes, what midfielders do they have? Because Riederfelt would have been the one, but he's got a, an, an issue as well. So, did you say De, De Kuyper was out as well? De Kuyper is a doubt. Yeah. Oh, bloody no
0: hell! Um, so James McArthur's got to be there somewhere in the background.
1: Where is James McArthur this I don't know. Did he retire? James McArthur. James McArthur is retired.
0: I don't believe it. He's still there in the training ground.
1: James McArthur retired in the summer. 36 years of age. Spent nine years at Palace after four years at Wigan. Had come through at Hamilton Academical. Him and, and James McCarthy were the midfield pairing there. McCarthy was seen as the much more talented one, but. I think it's fair to say Macarthur had the had the better career. uh, They both.
0: McCarthy joined Everton,
1: so that's the thing. So (laughs) um, McCarthy went Hamilton to Wigan. A year later, Macarthur joined him at Wigan, and then McCarthy went to Everton, while Macarthur went to Palace. McCarthy would join him. At Palace Now, McCarthy is still playing. He's playing for Celtic. And to his credit, when he gets the opportunities, when he's fit, he's done okay, but he, he just can't stay fit. His injury problems have just been catastrophic for his career. Mm-hmm. But um, he was a very good player when he was fit. He was very, very good when he was fit. Just couldn't stay fit. McCarthy was a very good player, but he was just limited. A good technical player. But didn't, didn't have the physicality. But both of them can be very proud of their careers, to be fair. Um, anyway, Palace, Newcastle. I think the obvious pick here is a Newcastle home win. So I'm just going to go with that. I'll go 2 0 to the turn. Like, Palace just don't have a midfield. Even if Dakure does play, who's creating anything with no Eze, no Elise, no Schlup? It's going to be some long balls up to to Mateta or Edward. I'll go 2-0 to Newcastle.
0: Yeah, not going to be a pretty game, that one, I don't think. Um, Last three o'clock in the uh, Mammoth session on Saturday uh, is Nottingham Forest against Luton. Luton are so weird because sometimes you watch them and you're like, they're getting there. But that Spurs game was a big opportunity for them and just didn't really do too much after that big miss. Was it by Ogbeni? Was it Adebayo? What are the two. Um, just never seem to pick it back up after that. Um, whereas Forrest, I don't even know where Forrest are. Seems to me Forrest are becoming one of those boring teams you just don't care where they are. They are 13th.
1: They're 13th in the league, nine points, so much better start than they made last year. Um, they've been fairly solid this season. Defensively, they've only conceded 10 goals. They are struggling a little bit to score goals, but then so is everybody after Newcastle in the league. Like the only team below eight who who've scored double figures in the league, any the teams, I should say, who have scored double figures are Chelsea, who spent a billion quid, and Brentford. And that's it. Like United have only scored nine goals. So for Forrest to only have eight and have a better defensive record than United it is it's pretty good. Now, they do have some injury issues. They will have uh, no Daniil. He's out for another while. Nuno Tavares is still out. Olaena Aina could be back. Uh, Teo Awani is a doubt. Niakata is back. Serge Aurier is out. Uh, Felipe is out. And Montiel is out. Um, he has a calf issue picked up when he was away with Argentina. For Luton, no Mads Anderson. No Amari Bell, no Jordan Clark, no Dan Potts, no La But Osho should be back. Um, this Luton team, it's its just hard to pick them to win any game because no matter who you put them up against, <clears throat> they're at a significant talent disadvantage. Uh, you know, they know they don't mean anything, but if you were to do a combined 11 of these teams, other than Issa Kabore, I'm not sure I'd put any Luton, play- Luton player on the Forest team. Um, and and Forrest have a bunch of right backs, so you know it's not like they're weak in that position. Um, I'll go Forrest to win. I think Gibbs White has been looking really dangerous the last little while. I think he's due a big game, so I'm gonna go 2 0 to Forrest.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'd back Forrest in that one as well. Uh, the big game of the week, and then Dave, we have Chelsea against Arsenal. Um, we mentioned it when we're doing the burn again. Chelsea obviously well seemed to like playing with the promoted teams. <laughs> um but probably their biggest test so far. They haven't played City yet, have they?
1: No we played Liverpool on the opening day. Yeah, but we didn't count back but on. Liverpool didn't play well. Yeah. Like this this is the thing. If you look at where they are on the table and then look at who they've played, it, it's not positive for Chelsea. Liverpool, West Ham have been good this season, to be fair. Yeah. Uh, they beat Luton. They lost at home to Nottingham Forest. They drew with Bournemouth. They lost at home to Aston Villa. They beat Fulham. They battered Burnley. They're very excited because they've won three in a row, because they beat Brighton in the League Cup, well Brighton's reserves in the League Cup. They're very excited by this, but, I mean, they weren't particularly good against Fulham, They were good against Burnley after Burnley went one up. But it took them a lot of huffing and puffing to get back into the game. And the first goal that they got was a very, very fortunate own goal. Then they got a a penalty, which was a, a stonewall penalty. But, you know, they didn't score an open play goal until the 65th minute, despite the fact that they had been battering Burnley for about 50 minutes by that point. Um I'm not at all impressed by Chelsea this season. They don't look like a team that's spent the kind of money they've spent. And their their injury situation is just hilarious. So, <clears throat> Wesley Fafana out, Christopher Nkunku out, Ben Chilwell out, Romeo Lavia out, Armando Broja out, Marcus Bettinelli out, Reese James, a doubt, but could be back. Cole Palmer, a doubt. Axel de Sassi looks like he's back. Malo Gusto's back from suspension. Nicholas Jackson's a doubt. Benoit Badde-Yashile's still out. Trevo Chalaba's still out. And Carney Chuck is still out. That is, at this point in the season, of that many players with nicks and Niggles and whatever else, is just so, so weird. The Gunners, on the other hand, Saka's a doubt, and... And I, I have a feeling he's not going to play. There are some rumours that he's got an injury that is going to need a lot of care. That if it was to worsen, it would be catastrophic. So I think they're going to have to be really careful with him. Uh, William Saliba is a doubt. Trossard is a major doubt, and Julian Timber is out. Probably for the full season. Um, Though I did see some Chelsea fans say he's going to be back in training by January, or some Arsenal fans say back in training by January. No, he won't. He just won't. Don't be so silly. He might be back doing his rehabilitation, but he won't be playing. He won't be playing until at, at the very earliest, maybe late April. Um. Arsenal have obviously had a good start to the season. They sit second. They beat City last time out. But they haven't been playing well. I mean, they haven't played well more than twice this season. And one of them was away to Bournemouth. So I'm I'm struggling to see what this Arsenal team really are at the moment. I, I don't... They've obviously... They finished second last year. They present themselves as title challengers. Last year when the real title race began with 10 games to go they collapsed. They don't deal well with pressure but they did beat City. Very fortunate but they did beat City. Chelsea need this win and this is a big proving game for Chelsea but I fancy Arsenal to go there and get a result even though like we've seen good Arsenal teams go to Stamford Bridge before and get decimated this is not a good Chelsea team so I feel like Arsenal should go there and win. I'll say I'll say 2 1 to Arsenal.
0: Life savings on Kai Havertz scoring a terrible goal to win.
1: Yeah I, I think I think I think that's quite a likelihood because it just how football works. The midfield battle here will be really interesting. I'm very curious to see what Arteta does. Does he play parte again as a six? Because Rice had his best game of the season against City, playing as an eight, which is his actual position. He's not a six. He's never been a six. Play six for England. He's okay there. He's not great there. Next Mm. to Partey, he looked so much better. He had so much freedom. He could go and do the Declan Rice things of winning the ball high up. He could carry the ball through the different phases and not have to worry about leaving an open shot behind him. If I Saliba is a doubt, better.
0: though, Dave, he may go back to party at right-back.
1: Party at right-back, Ben White in the middle is definitely mm. a possibility. Definitely a possibility. It's not a great possibility, but it's, it's, it's a possibility. If Tomiyasu's fit, though, I think you go Tomiyasu. Mm-hmm. i just slot Tomiyasu in at centre-back and leave Ben White at right-back because I think is the better defender. Um, But then he is less experienced playing centre-back than White. The white Gabrielle centre-back pairing is soft, though. I think Nicholas Jackson could have some, some joy against him because he's powerful and he's quick and he annoys defenders. Um, yeah, I'll go 2-1 to Arsenal. I I think it'll be a decent enough game. Arsenal want to play a decent brand of football. Pochettino's team are very aggressive. But, I mean, at the end of the day, they, you look at the league table and, and they can fluff and bluster all they want about you know, promising signs and pressing numbers. You, you're you're 11th in the table. You've got 11 points from not all that a difficult of a start. You know it, that's not like they went through a murderer's row of teams. They played Liverpool, and who else did they play? Nobody, nobody good. Didn't play Spurs. Didn't play Liverpool. I didn't play Arsenal yet. Didn't play City yet. Like, you played Liverpool. That's the well, only team likely to finish in the top six. That
0: well, you nine of their points have been Fulham, Luton, and Burnley. Yeah. And Fulham are very bad this season. Be
1: yeah, fair. Fulham aren't good. Fulham aren't good at all. They can't score goals. They're decent defensively. They're well-organised. They're well-coached. But they haven't been good this season. Um, you lost at home to Forrester. Like, that's, that's an abomination of a result. Forrest are garbage away from home, and they beat you. So they can get all excited about whatever they want, but Chelsea are not a good team. Um, now, that's not saying they don't have a chance to win this game. They have, they have the talent, player for player. Now, obviously, injuries are a big factor here, but player for player, Chelsea are not all that far away. It's just about making them into a team rather than just a group of lads out having a kick about But Arsenal are a team, and that's why I expect Arsenal to win the game. So, yeah,
0: 2-1. Yep. Usually an interesting game at the very least. Mm. Um, I'm pretty sure this next game, though, Dave, is only on TV because Sheffield United beat Man United four years ago in the same fixture.
1: It's the only thing that makes sense. I mean, otherwise, why on earth are we being subjected to this, Drek? This is 10th versus 20th in prime time on a Saturday night <laughs> oh lord um, Sheffield, Sheffield United are just they're so far below the level that they should be at for the being in the Premier League now mm. they've got a bunch of injuries which aren't their fault but still Chris Basham is out Norrington Davies is out Egan is out Davies is out Lowe is out Jebison is out Osborne's a doubt Asul is a doubt and Baldock is probably out. Probably out. They've got nine players out or doubtful. United have 12. So, Lissandro Martinez out, probably till the new year. Malasia out. Juan Basaka a doubt. Manu a doubt. Luke Shaw a doubt. Casemiro a doubt. Regulon a doubt. Varan a doubt, Amrabat a doubt, Johnny Evans a doubt, Jaden Sancho ruled out because he hurt the manager's feelings, and Ahmed Triore probably not back till January February. Like that's most of their defenders. That's most of the defenders are out or doubtful. They've got McGuire. Lindelof, Delow, and no left-back as we stand right now, which is a little bit concerning. As I said before, though, surely to God, there's some left-back in the academy who could step up and play that you could give an opportunity to rather than... Any
0: left-footed person in Manchester.
1: Any left-footed player, even a left-winger, a left-footed left-winger. If you've got one of them, stick them at left-back. It's better than watching Amrabat there looking horrendously out of position.
0: Was it Lindelof last week? Yeah, uh, two weekends ago now.
1: Lindelof, yeah. Now, he yeah. was better than Amrabat. At, least he's, defender, but, at yeah. least he's a defender. At least he's, exactly. At least he's a defender. He's, you know, he's decently mobile. He's not quick, but he's decently mobile. Um, Sheffield United have not won yet this season. They've only got one point. <clears throat> Manchester United have lost four times this season. And they're very, very fortunate that it's only four times. If we look at their games this season, very, very fortunate against Wolves. Should have lost. Lost to Spurs. Very, very fortunate against Nottingham Forest. Should have lost, haven't been 2-0 down. Lost to Arsenal. Lost to Brighton. Beat Burnley. Fair enough. Lost at home to Crystal Palace. And then very, very fortunate against Brentford. Two very late goals. You add that to they lost at home to Galatasaray in the Champions League. They lost away to Bayern. It's been a dreadful, dreadful start. And like, they've had a bunch of home games and just not played well at home at all. And last season, it was their home form that was really their saving grace. But they've played, I think, five home games in the league already out of eight. Is that right? Yeah, five home games out of eight. Which means they're unbalanced. They've got two more away games due to them. And their away form has been garbage as well. Lost to Spurs, lost to Arsenal, but beat Burnley. But like, to, for them to lose at home to Crystal Palace and then perform the way they did against Wolves, against Forest and against Brentford, that's really concerning. And yes, they've played the top two and Brighton, but their other five league games have all been against bottom half teams. And yet they haven't just run through them. They've lost one of them. That's a concern. And they've looked really poor in three others. United are not in a good position at the moment. With that being said, like I said earlier, Sheffield United, I just, I'm having a real tough time seeing how they can stay up. I, I just, I struggle to put together, even when everybody's fit, I struggle to put together a team that I think can stay up. Like, Wes Fodderingham, I think he's a solid backup goalkeeper. I don't think he's any more than that. In defense, Ahmed Hosic is good, but he's struggling to adapt to the physicality of the Premier League. I do like Luke Thomas, so give me him as the left back. I like Jaden Bogle at right back. They obviously play a back three, so I need two more centre backs. And they don't have one other centre back that I would put a lot of faith in. Like Austin Trusty? Really? Maybe him, maybe him and Ahmed Hodzic. And then I don't know what you do with the third spot. Maybe it's John Egan when he's fit, just for organisation. In midfield, <clears throat> John Fleck, not Premier League caliber. Gustavo Hammer's good. I like him. I think his best role, though, is as a 10 in the Premier League. Oliver Norwood, not Premier League caliber at this point. Koulibaly, they just never give opportunities to. I do like Vinicius Sosa, but I don't know who you put in midfield with him. Anis Slaman, maybe. Uh, Tom Davies, maybe. James McAfee, I suppose, is the one. So you've got a midfield three there that's at least, at least could develop into a strong midfield. And then maybe up front you go Cameron Archer and uh, Benny Traore, maybe. Like, I think Cameron Archer and Jebison would be the pair. Cause like Ollie McBurney's not a Premier League player. Rian Brewster, I mean, what's look at his career. What's happened to him? I really would struggle. Like that's I I that I need a goalkeeper and I need two centre backs to have an even passable team.
0: I think it's beyond the manager as well, because I know um Wilde is obviously permanently linked with a job back. I think you could back like Guardiola in there. And it's I don't think it'll down. make much
1: difference. I think I think Paul Heckenbottom is in a no-win situation here. I really do. Now, I don't know that he's a great manager or anything. He's certainly done a decent job last season bringing them back up. Um, before that, he'd been poor at Barnsley, at Leeds, and at Hibs. But he's done okay with, with what's been presented to him. Um but I don't think he can blame him for this situation. And I don't think Chris Wilder is going to make much difference either. Because what's he going to do? He can't just magically make a goalkeeper and two centre-backs just appear from thin air. And even like, even with what I laid out, I I can't be certain that Benny Traore is going to score enough goals to justify, or Daniel Jebison will score enough goals to justify. I really like Cameron Archer. I think he's got big, big potential. And I think with, with him and a a partner plus that midfield three I laid out behind them, which hasn't been their midfield three because they keep playing people like Norwood, I think they could make a go of it. But the problem is, to do that, you've got to get those two centre-backs and that goalkeeper. You can't do that till January, by which time it could well be too late. Like, the last time they went down, was the 2021 season. So they come up, they finished ninth in the first season. Everybody loved them. They played a really nice brand of football. The underlapping the and overlapping centre-backs was tremendous. The midfield arrangement, while the individuals weren't of high quality, it worked really well. They got enough goals. And then in 2021... They started out with one point from their first eight, which then grew into two points from their first 17. We got to January. Now, because the league started a month later because of COVID and whatever else, but we got to January and they only had two points from 17 games played. Then they started to have a bit of a turnaround and they won three of five. And then they fell apart again, and they won one from ten with nine losses. At which point, manager was sacked. Off he went, and they finished with three wins in the last six. But it all snowballed from that dreadful start, where they took one point from the first thirteen games, and then two points from seventeen. Like that's abysmal. I worry that they could they could fall into the same pattern again this season. I'm going to pick a United win. I think it'll be ugly. I'll go 1-0 to United.
0: Yeah, it's what we all want to watch on a Saturday evening. Um, moving on to Sunday then for our one game, for whatever reason. Um, we have Villa against West Ham. Dave, um, I could see
1: this being a fun game. It, it 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 could be a fun game, or it could be Emery versus Moyes in who can out Emery or Moyes the other um, two managers with similar enough approaches to the game, you know, build from the back, keep things tight. Villa have a bit more of an expansive nature. West Ham, I think, have better players in those attacking areas. Bar the nine, like I put, Piquetta, Kudus, and Bowen. I think if you're if you're picking a combined eleven between these clubs, you probably go Tamara. I suppose Kamara and Douglas Sweeney is a double pivot. Piquet in, Kudus is in. It's either Bowen or Diaby. Bowen's more proven in the Premier League. Diaby's more exciting, but Bowen's more proven. I and Oli Watkins I up front.
0: Kudus wouldn't be in it, but he,
1: well, that's fair. It. That's fair based on form. That's fair. So maybe Paquette as the nine, Diaby left side, Bowen right side. Watkins as the as the striker but I think if you look at the players who are not getting in in each individual position, the West Ham ones are stronger than the Villa ones, Villa still have some weaknesses mm-hmm. um, Villa definitely stronger at centre back Zuma and Agard's a really good pairing I'd probably take the the the, sorry, West Ham are stronger there. I'd probably take the West Ham fullbacks as well. Sufal Cash is close. I think I'd take Dina over over Palmieri. I don't like either of them, but Dina has a really good yeah, final ball.
0: I quite like Moreno, but that might just be a. Yeah, uh, I mean, Moreno.
1: It could be just the name. It could just be the name. Um, and then you go Emmy Martinez in goal, but again, Ariola is really, really good. Yeah. So I think they're both really evenly matched. I think it's a really evenly. Evenly matched two teams. Obviously, in the table right now, you've got Villa are f- uh, fifth with sixteen points, and West Ham are seventh with it with fourteen points. Only two points between them. And I would say West Ham have had a tougher start. Now Villa played Newcastle. Who Villa played? Let's see. Villa played. Newcastle, Everton, Burnley, Liverpool, Palace, Chelsea, Brighton. Yeah, to be fair, Villa have had the, the harder start, and they're two points ahead. So that's that's really promising for them. Um, West Ham though haven't had an easy start either. They've they've played some tough tough games, and it's probably about even with that. Probably, it, it, I, I'd say Brighton is the swing. Oh, yeah, because I don't think West Ham have played Brighton. they played Brighton. Yeah, they beat them, didn't they? They did. They beat them 3-0, of course, or 3-1. Yeah, to be fair, they both played Chelsea. They've both played Newcastle. They've both, both played Liverpool. Liverpool. They've both yeah. played Brighton. And the other games that end for West Ham, <clears throat> Bournemouth, Luton and Sheffield United, so they, those three probably make it easier than the Villa run, but yeah, to be fair, it has been really, really close, and they're both in Europe, so they're not getting. Neither of them are getting a midweek break. Yeah, it is. It it it's really evenly matched. To be fair, I'm going to go for a draw. What are we like injury wise? No, Wendy and no Mings, no Moreno, and no Eric Boonham, and no Jacob Ramsey, which is such a blow. He would be in the combined eleven if he was fit. Yeah, he's. I I love watching Jacob Ramsey play. I love watching players that can hugely impact the game without the ball, and he does that brilliantly. Like His movement and intelligence in the final third is spectacular. Uh, West Ham, no Cresswell, no Johnson, no Fabianski. None of them are starters, so West Ham will be at full strength, whereas Villa... Ramsey and Moreno would be starters. I think Ming's was going to be replaced by Pau Torres. Buendia, you could make a case for as a starter, but I think he's always been better for them off the bench. I'll go the draw. I'll go the draw. I'll say... I'll say 2-2. Even though West Ham are full strength and Villa are missing one key player and another starter, it's at Villa Park. So I'll go the draw,
0: 2-2. Yeah, and Villa have got good depth though as well, to be fair. Mm. Um don't know why this... is this game on TV on Monday night? I I don't understand. The Spurs are
1: top of the league.
0: But it's against Fulham.
1: I know, but it's, you know, you've got to get Fulham their games on TV so they can justify the money that they're getting from the Premier League. Uh, Fulham. Adama Traore is a doubt. Kenny Tete is a doubt. Issa Diop is out and Tolson's out. So they're going to be, they're going to be uh, fairly thin at centre-back. Um... For Spurs, no Perisic. Man of Solomon has a knee injury. He's had, he's had surgery. Uh, Ryan Sessegnon's out. Bentoncourt is still out. Basuma is suspended, which is a huge blow because he's been brilliant. Brennan Johnson should be back. Romero should be fine. Alfie Whiteman is out. Uh, he had surgery on, on his ankle. Um, Spurs are starting to struggle a little bit with injuries. But Spurs are really good. They're at home. They're top of the league. They've made a great start. Fulham have been a bit of a mixed bag. They don't have a goal scorer. They're lacking at centre back now with without Diop or Tosin. They don't have a right centre back, yeah. So
0: that's going to anger me either. Yeah,
1: so they're, they're probably going to play Tim Ream and Calvin Bassi. Bassey. Relegation stuff, though. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's immediately, you know liquidate the club type of behaviour. Uh, we'll go with a Spurs win. We'll go
0: 3-1. Yep, and that was the last go.
1: And there we go. This podcast that I promised would be short is now about an hour and 45 minutes. Um, you've got in-depth analysis of Burnley, which is exactly what you tuned in for. Good bit on Bournemouth, which again is exactly what you tuned in for. And TV scheduling. TV scheduling and a bit of a, a deep dive into Sheffield United's squad. So there you go. Less time spent on Liverpool, Liverpool-Everton, City-Brighton and Chelsea-Arsenal, which are the three biggest games of the weekend and Villa-West Ham, to be fair, the four biggest games of the, of the Everyone weekend.
0: Everyone knows about those clubs. We're here for the but three, That's that's the thing. thing. That's
1: That is the whole purpose of this podcast is to talk about the other clubs. So I'm happy to spend more time talking about Bournemouth or Burnley or Nottingham Forest than I am about all the top clubs. So there we go. Right. We will be back next week. Uh, As things stand, we're Monday to Friday next week. A full week. Let's touch wood and keep fingers crossed. (laughs) I just want a full week. I just want to do this show for five days in a row. That's all I want. That's all I'm asking for. So hopefully that comes true next week. Take care of yourselves. Enjoy the weekend. And make sure if you're a UFC fan, as Guy pointed out, it's not on at a normal time. So make sure you don't miss because this is the card of the year. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye.
0: Network.